folks, it's a Gamers with Glasses show, and I'm Christian Haynes, an editor at www.gamerswithglasses.com. I'm joined by Roger Whitson. Hello. Don Everhart. Hi. And Nate Schmidt. Hey there. Tonight, we've got a very special episode for you, which is doubling as the kickoff to a spinoff series that we're doing called Retronomicon. I think, uh, Nate, you're going to insert echoes there, right? I'm, I was already planning it in my head, which is going to yeah, sound excellent. really good when they'll hear it and it'll have echoes on it, but then they'll also hear us talking about adding the echoes in after the Excellent. <laughs> so Retronomicon is where we're going to be talking about retro games or games at least a couple generations old that still deserve your attention. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Metroid series from the original 1986 Metroid, from Nintendo's R&D1 studio to the latest entry in the series, Metroid Dread. We will be discussing Dread with spoilers, but we will warn you when that's coming up. So, without further ado, why don't we start off by talking about some of our first experiences with Metroid. Uh, Roger, you want to start us off? Yeah, so Metroid was the first game that I got with the Nintendo Entertainment System. And honestly, my dad got me a Nintendo... Like, I didn't have a Nintendo for a long time. I dreamed about it. I had dreams. Like, did you ever watch that show Double Dare? Oh, yeah. I had so many dreams that I would go on Double Dare and win a Nintendo. And it was the coolest thing. But at one point, my dad, I I only saw my dad once a week. And I think he did it because he was fighting with my mom. Got me a Nintendo Entertainment System with Metroid. And I didn't know what Metroid was. I hadn't asked for Metroid. All I knew was It was Mario not the game of your dreams. It was not. I was a little disappointed. My cousin had gotten Mario and I got Metroid at that point. I mean, just like initially. And so I started the game and uh, I was really bad for a long time. Like a long, long time. It took me for... It's really, really difficult. I uh, I ended up defeating Ridley before Kraid initially um, and it took me a long time to defeat Kraid. Kraid for whatever reason was like like my kryptonite um, and uh, yeah I, 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 I it took I didn't actually finish the game I kind of abandoned the game because you know you we would start renting other games I was not at that point I mean this was like right as Nintendo came out so I was probably 10 or 11 years old like at that point in my life i was not like a f- pretty very good gamer at all so like i was just kind of like doing what i could do um and yeah like that's that's about it i didn't finish it until years later when i went back um and played the game properly um but it's it's probably one of my favorite games and it's and it's it's something that i very much associate with getting a Nintendo, the excitement behind it, um, and yeah, just like finding new worlds. Metroidvanias now are one of my favorite genres, I think, because of this. So that's my experience. I, I, well, I had an NES. Uh, I originally got it as a hand-me-down from some cousins when they got a, a Super NES, and they came with a bunch of games like their entire nes game collection uh went to my brother and i which was amazing but it didn't include metroid and i guess i could have rented it but i don't remember ever even renting it and so my first exposure to the series that i can think of uh 
was at some box store, probably Target, and they had the preview kiosk where they would have a console and whatnot and all, all that. And they were advertising a Super Nintendo system, and Super Metroid was the game that you could stand in the middle of the store in the electronics section and play, were you so inclined. And usually play wherever someone had left off of it, which was almost always just right on the surface of of the planet. Uh, And I remember leaping around in the rain around Samus's ship, um, kind of aimlessly, and there's no real way to get a good handle on the variety of the controls or the direction that you're supposed to go or, or really anything about it except for uh, that incredible atmosphere um, at the start of the game. And for a long time, that was my main association with Super Metroid, uh, with the exception, as I discussed on a previous episode of our mainline podcast, of playing it at friends' houses, where uh you know had some friends who were spectacularly good at it um and uh then you know we would pass the controller back and forth and sections i couldn't beat and so on and so forth and uh it was decades before i actually played the game from front to back myself i only did that finally this summer and realized that there were whole sections of the game that either i had never played or that had been memory hold or something like that um, which might as well have been brand new to me in 2021. Well, first, I just want to say, shout out to those little kiosks where you used to be able to play video games, like, at the store, at the mall. That was the absolute best. Like, I would get so excited, because we got all my jeans at Sears, um, when, when I was uh, a kid, I had the little, you know, hammer holder thing on the carpenter jeans. And I remember playing Donkey Kong Country for the first time. Oh, uh, yeah. Like in in Sears. Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Nice. And, and that was just absolutely, I mean, if you want to talk about nostalgia, um, I have a lot of retro nomical nostalgia for that experience. Um, my real first Metroid experience is uh in super smash brothers 64 (laughs) (laughs) such a good starting point oh yeah so here's the thing i didn't have uh any gaming systems to speak of growing up at my house uh, except for a PC, which I figured out how to run a couple different things on. Um, the, it, it was a pretty anti sort of uh, games as entertainment place until I was able to like make my own money and then buy my own things. So it took a while. And so a lot of my gaming experience was either at Sears for jeans or uh, at friends' houses, um, like Don sort of mentioned. And... Um, I had no idea. Like, imagine not having any idea what Nintendo is and then booting up Super Smash Brothers for the first, as one of the first <laughs> games you play. And, That's awesome. And also, your friend is kind of mean and is, like, used to winning things, so just hands you the controller and says, like, you know, push push things. And things will happen. And what I figured out was that there was a character who was sort of red and orange, and if you hit the right button that character would zap out this blue zappy 
that would grab the other dude and if you got it just right would sort of fling them off in the other direction and i really liked that i really liked that ability to rescue myself from the pummeling that my friend was always laying on me in super smash <laughs> brothers because i didn't know what it was or what any of the characters were samus standing up for the bullied exactly <laughs> samus was my uh savior samus was the one that if i could land the grapple beam attack i could for a minute feel accomplished and uh that i still love playing as samus i think that samus is one of the most powerful and cool smash brothers characters so i realize that's a little bit more metroid adjacent but that is the true story of my first introduction to the metroid games back when i had no idea i don't think i even knew that that i was playing as a character i think i thought she was a robot yeah, no, I think I think a lot of people probably encountered Samus the first time in Smash you know, Brothers. Uh, I remember in a way it felt like re-encountering her when that game came out and it was like a kind of party game that everybody was playing in the mid to late 90s, I want to say. Um, and I, I hadn't played any Metroid games since... Uh, Super Metroid, which I played pretty shortly after I came out, but never owned. So, you know, I never played the Game Boy one. So I remember, oh yeah, I forgot about Samus, you know? But I think my story is pretty similar to Roger's, except that I, you know, until Dawn's, I, I got an NES, probably late 80s, 89, 90, somewhere around there. Uh, and I don't actually think, I, I got Duck Hunt and I got Mario, so I don't, think i got metroid but i borrowed games a lot and we you know lent each other games and borrowed games from one another a lot and so a lot of it was either at a friend's house where you borrow a game i'll give you zelda back next weekend or something you know and metroid was one that i liked enough that i eventually got my parents to buy like a used copy of it uh probably would have been like 91 or something so you know four or five years after it came out and used copies were and it still costs ninety one dollars, yeah, or the equivalent thereof. Uh, if you found the right pawn shop, it didn't. Um, <laughs> right, but uh, but yeah, and it just I had that atmosphere. It had that kind of, and it also, you know, the thing I remember the most about it is the music. The music and that original Metroid just like immediately produces a tone and atmosphere, and you know, I remember I did beat it, but I don't remember if I ever beat it without quote-unquote cheating right like i still remember justin bailey i remember using justin bailey the code to get all the power-ups and put samus in uh some kind of leotard or something um they reserved the hypersexualized red bikini for like beating the game i think under three hours or something like that um but if you typed in justin bailey you got a green-haired samus uh in a leotard that you could just jump all the way up to mother brain and start, you know, shooting all of your missiles. What was the origin of the Justin Bailey? Was there a Justin Bailey? Like who? What was I that? honestly don't know where the name came huh. from. Although I'm sure someone. I had that too. I had the Justin Bailey code too. Yeah. I mean, it's, there were a few codes, but that's the only one I remember. Um, so there's a Justin Bailey that was a hockey player, but he was born in 95. So I'm guessing, uh, <laughs> unless Nintendo is hiding time travel from us. The, the immortal QA 
surf Justin Bailey who smuggled that in. (laughs) Who's still testing Metroid games to this day. Yeah, works at NOA Treehouse and is older than everyone. Really horrible arthritis. (laughs) That first the thing about the first game that was always so sad to me was that you would get the wave beam, which was the coolest weapon in the game. Goes through walls. And then you'd have to give it up. You had to get it up to get the ice beam because otherwise you wouldn't be able to defeat the Metroids. I mean, I guess you could use the wave beam to get them to just like run away from them or something, but. It's a lot easier with the ice beam because you know, ice beam turns the enemies into platforms, right? So, which at the time was like brilliant, you know, that was a brilliant sort of double use. Uh, but yeah, uh, so, you know, I started off with Metroid late 80s, early 90s. And moved on to Super Metroid. But I don't, for me, there was a long hiatus, it felt like, until uh, Smash Brothers. And then I have, I think I touched, like literally touched, one of maybe two of the Metroid Prime games on the Wii. Not on the GameCube. Uh, and then didn't really play anything till Dread. I never really got super into handhelds, although I did own a Game Gear at one point. Um that didn't get me very far. Uh, and yeah, so I had, I had a long hiatus. I'd have to say the same thing, Christian. Like one of the things that's really weird, I have such a spotty mem- understanding of the lore to the point where like I when we were playing Dread, I was emailing you all saying like, where are the Metroids? Like where's Mother Brain? And you were like, oh, you have no idea, do you? And I'm like, I guess not. Like I, so like I think part of it was because I played Metroid. I played Super Metroid um and a few things but i never had a handheld so like i didn't get to play metroid 2 i didn't play metroid fusion like i didn't play those games and i think it was it's i think maybe castlevania i guess is the only other franchise where they would put so many like important games to this to with stories on in these handheld games and i wonder how many people are like me where i just had the consoles and so, like, I missed out a lot. Well, I, I think even more so, it's not just people that didn't have the handhelds. Because, I, you know, for a long time, actually, Nintendo was doing better with their handhelds and with their, you know, full-blown console, um, which is why we have the Switch now, you know. It sort of crosses those two things. Uh, but keep in mind, people just didn't play Metroid, right? The first Metroid did pretty well. Super Metroid did well. And then they stopped doing it well, for the most part. Uh, and haven't been doing well. And I mean, the good news with Dread, and we'll talk about this, I suppose, is that it has done well. Um, and I, I think that can, you know, personally probably be chalked up as much to a bit of a lull in Nintendo's publishing at the present uh, as the quality of the game, which I do think is high. But I also think Nintendo's had a kind of odd year publishing-wise. Uh, but yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know about it. Like, I had a Game Boy Advance. That was my first thing because that was the thing I could buy, right? That was the first. I'm out there mowing lawns, right? Um, and uh, <laughs> that was living in a I, place with lawns. Yeah, imagine <laughs> very idea. <laughs> I'm from yeah. the desert. <laughs> <laughs> you could mow the sand, Don. I mean, you got to get creative. There, there was some trench digging and gravel and yeah, rock rearranging because uh, Arizona is a prison planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what I'm saying. 
<laughs> oh, I'm not going to say... shock no listener from Arizona. Uh... <laughs> Arrakis. <laughs> Arrakis. Um... Uh... <laughs> What Frank Herbert based that on may shock you. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I so and honestly though, I still missed uh, a lot of the Metroid games because I just didn't know. Like, I also it was it was hard to acquire games on a limited budget and limited transportation. I think I got a bunch from my cousin. I had like Advance Wars or something I got from my cousin, um, and and that's what I remember a lot of from from Game Boy, but. I actually kind of came back around to Super Metroid by playing it on console, though. Like, because later on in life, when I had money to collect cool things that were uh, older than the, like, recent consoles that I really should be playing in order to come up with smart uh, content ideas. But, but like, I, I started gathering sort of, like... Um, you know, the Super Nintendo and the Genesis and these different things is like legacy interests. And um, so I actually did play Super and have only played um, Super Metroid on on console. Uh, but I just I, I played it there um, probably for the first time, like three years ago, three, four years ago, because that was kind of when when I got around to it. So I had really missed a lot of the other Metroid stuff. I like you, Christian. I looked at the Metroid on the the Metroid Prime on the Wii for just a little bit, and or did you say you did it on the GameCube? Yeah, and I got so frustrated with the point and aim controls on the Wii. I hated every game on the Wii that did that, um, and oh. so I got so frustrated that I quit because I I want to be passive when I play video games that I want to move. It would be easier with a controller, like a like a standard controller. Yeah. I won't lie that I every time Nintendo has a direct, I'm just like Prime Trilogy Remastered, Prime Trilogy Remastered and I know. It doesn't get announced. Uh, because they rebooted Prime for <laughs> the development. Well I dude, is it because of the of the difficulty getting this franchise like earlier you said uh Christian that you know, some of the middle uh, Metroid games didn't sell so well. Is that part of the reason why they don't remaster them? Because, like, I would love to play, you know, Metroid 2. I would, I mean, they even had that, they've had remakes of Metroid 2, but, like, I don't know, even those are on, on and handhelds, too. Like, it's just, it's so difficult to get these games. Do we want more Nintendo remakes right now, though? I mean, with the whole 64 yeah, pay plus extra... I'm just saying, I'm not sure that I yeah. necessarily hmm. Nintendo does what Sega don't, you know? Um, <laughs> that's the saying goes, I think. Um, You're right. I With mean, Sega, you can get most of their catalog on pretty much any device that you want. Uh, <laughs> and with Nintendo, uh, you don't. It's not yeah. that. <laughs> I, think, I think it's important to remember that Nintendo is a corporation that, Indeed. you know, to its credit, perhaps, very carefully manages its intellectual property. And I think part of that is about drip feeding out content in a very, in a way that's very similar to like, say the Disney vault, you know, there's a kind of control and a desire because I guarantee you when that gets released, it's not gonna be a $20 purchase and you're not gonna be able to 
just buy one of the Prime games, it's going to be a $60 or $80 purchase to buy all three Primes. Um, and, you know, they know how to keep the value up on the games, I suppose. But one of the things I think we can maybe use this to segue into is that Metroid's been an interesting series in terms of what Nintendo has done for a couple of reasons. One is that it was producing their R&D1 studio, so not the studio that, like, Miyamoto was heading up. Uh, so it's always been the kind of, like, I want to say the ugly stepbrother or step, you know, daughter sort of thing, but it's had a kind of like sibling quality to the Zelda, like little kid quality to the Zeldas or the Marios, I think, throughout its life. Um, the the experience you just described, Christian, of for every uh, Nintendo Direct sitting there and hoping for Metroid news is more or less the Metroid fan experience, right? It's arguably even more so than playing the games. You get tied in and emotionally involved and you enjoy playing them. And then you sit there while Nintendo on their golden horde uh, doesn't announce anything again <laughs> but it is interesting right because they've done things they've done sort of similar things in particular with the mario series more so than zelda which is they've done things like re-release the game with added content right so uh metroid 2 uh is an obvious example uh but also the first metroid right both the first and second metroids have had re-releases and in both cases they added a significant amount of content right that's true so Zero Mission, right? Don, why don't you talk a little bit about Zero Mission? I'm pretty sure you played that relatively recently. I, I did. I, I played Zero Mission just a couple months ago in the in the run-up to Dread, and I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed what was new about it compared to the original Metroid. Um, so contrary to the title, it is not a prequel to the original Metroid. It's a remake. It follows the path and story such as it is of the metroid that uh several of us played or didn't play on the nes as as might be the case um except it also uh incorporates a bunch of mechanics from super metroid it hues closer graphically to super metroid but it's on the game boy advance so it just a little bit more than that SNES style, a little bit more rounded, designed for a different type of screen, uh, slightly different color palette, lots more magenta and lime green, um, much less moody as as a game, uh, as a result. And uh, it has this brilliant piece of remake design uh, where there's the whole critical main path of the original Metroid in it, which Roger didn't follow as a kid uh, in beating Ridley before Kraid. And you can certainly still do that in Zero Mission. You can uh, avoid and deviate from that critical path as much as you like. But for the number of players who played Super Metroid before they played Zero Mission, uh, which would be many, uh, given the release schedule and the popularity of Super Metroid, Having the full Super Metroid suite of powers, uh, including the ability to toggle on and off what kinds of uh, weaponry you have, so you don't have to drop the wave beam for the ice beam. You can just click off the wave beam, use ice, or click it back on if you if you like. Amazing. 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 
amazing innovation, uh, but not not the only one. The the better uh, innovation is that all around that critical path, uh, as well as a lot of the optional side ways of moving through the original Metroid, they added all kinds of puzzles, a lot of shine spark puzzles, uh, where you run and charge a hyper dash and then store it up so that you can do a ludicrous superpower jump or roll in in a variety of directions. Uh, And those puzzles, uh, difficulty ceiling, as it were, goes all the way up to 11. So you can do the main path of the original Metroid in an easier way than ever before, because you have more control options and more flexibility, because you have everything that you had in Super Metroid. And then if you want that additional challenge on top of it, you can do things that are every bit as difficult as many of the most uh, challenging portions of Super Metroid that have now been built into Zero Mission. And on top of that, but wait, there's more. Once you finish the original Metroid and you defeat Mother Brain in Zero Mission, Samus flies away, detonating the planet as she often does, and is immediately shot down by space pirates and has to crawl through an additional planet a Chozo temple, an entire space pirate ship to restore uh, the armor that she lost in her ships crashing back down into it. And you get all of this additional story and and everything like that communicated in in this section in addition to uh, the very first time that the Metroid series went, hey, would it be fun to have some stealth in here? Would it be fun to have alarms and be chased would it be fun to inject a little more direct fear and vulnerability into this game? Let's give it a try. We've got a whole extra chapter for Zero Mission, and only the people who beat it uh, are even ever going to see it. So let's try this out, get a little experimental. And you know what? It turns out the uh, having to run and hide and carefully monitor enemy vision cones in my Metroid, that's a good experience. And Zero Mission was the first to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so funny the way in which, like, these, the Metroid series gets, like, iterated on, revised, and, you know, Metroid Samus Returns or something similar that happens where you get elements, like, you know, Metroid Samus Returns is a sort of revision and remake of uh, Metroid 2, but for the 3DS. Um, It's a really good use of the 3DS technology of that sort of uh, stereoscopic view. which admittedly gives me a headache after a little while, but uh, I did enjoy using that um, to play it. And stuff about the Chozos, though, that doesn't come until, like, Metroid Fusion is introduced into Metroid 2, but into Metroid 2 as Samus Returns. And there's this history of doing this over and over. So, for example, if I'm remembering correctly, it's Fusion that explains a lot of what happened to lead up to Metroid, the 1986 Metroid. And so it's not until like 10, 15 years after, uh, more than 15 years, I think, actually, after, uh, when is Fusion? Um, after the original Metroid, that you learn about like the Chozos and, and really what they did um, to turn to Samus into what she is. Yeah. Uh, Metroid Fusion was 2002. So there's kind of like recursive history uh, where, you know, things about 
what led up to a scenario aren't explained until several games later. It just keeps happening in Metroid. I don't think that's unusual. I think Zelda has done the same thing. I also just think it's part and parcel of Nintendo actually not caring very much about story. Um, and, and I hate to say this to folks who might maybe are really into the lore of Metroid, but lore is not like overarching narrative. Uh, and I think <laughs> Nintendo does great lore. Uh, that That's a lesson all kinds of fandoms could use. Yeah. Just that it's, phrase. Lore yeah. is not a substitute for overarching narrative. Yeah. That's not a bad thing, right? But it's like... It's not. They're Nintendo, just not the same. Yeah, I know. And, and, and what's brilliant about Nintendo is Nintendo only puts as much story as is needed to get certain kinds of level design and gameplay mechanics on the screen. And that's what makes a Nintendo game so great. Uh, but it's also what makes it not like a cinematic aesthetic or something, right? Nobody goes, you know, leaves playing Metroid or something. I think it's like, oh, this is just like that movie I watched. Different. Well, Dread comes the closest, arguably, with that. Arguably. We'll get and, we'll, to it. and we'll get there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super Metroid. Nate, tell us about why everybody who has ever played a game, even if it's Candy Crush, should probably play Super Metroid at some point. Well, or contradict me completely and tell me why I'm full of shit. I mean, you're not full of shit, but I I don't know. I think I know why I like it. I I <laughs> I have some guesses about what other people love and appreciate about it. It's also a little bit kind of hard to know what to say about a game so widely and wildly beloved right it's i feel like either if you haven't played it yet your best thing to do is to you know boot it up and and give it a try and if you have then i don't need to convince you that it's awesome uh, which maybe that's my move in in telling people that if you play a video game you should play this one i uh, and but i've been i've been chewing on it i've been trying to figure out like what is it that makes this game so delightful, so satisfying. And I think it has a lot to do with that trope that we're now really used to, of here you are, you're in a world, you've been plopped down in a place place that might be a centralized location, might not be, you'll find out. And just go just go figure it out yourself and and there's a degree to which this is obviously the case in the earlier metroid games too but i think it was really super metroid that made me feel of the metroid games that i played still is the one that makes me feel the most like i have been set free to go and explore and find things on my own that i would not um, have, I don't know, that that I, I wouldn't have found if I hadn't been playing a game that encouraged me to, like, poke at every little sort of corner of the screen. Because there could be something anywhere. But, and I think this is really the key, I'll still make that search interesting. Still make the search fun and interesting and invigorating. And there are parts that you find that really move things forward and bring you into these whole of the spaces where you're finding new powers and new items and things that fundamentally change the gameplay, right, in really significant ways. Um, 
I actually think the extra jump is one of the less appreciated and coolest parts of Super Metroid. Just that tiny little idea, that tiny little tweak of, and it has all these great revealing moments where you go, oh, all those things that I couldn't get to before have something in common. And now I know what that thing is, right? That I was missing. And if you haven't, you know, spoiled it for yourself since in the year since 1994 then it it, but you know like it it can still be surprising it can still be there are things that you encounter and there's always this what i find to be a really fun tension between like is this a solvable puzzle or is it a future solvable puzzle and I think that that's something that um, that Super Metroid really had some kind of bravery to lean into because you risk alienating people if you'll forgive an alien pun. You 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 risk Don literally rolled his Don rolled his eyes loudly like it made a sound. <laughs> the sound of Don's eye roll. <laughs> but. But they they risked pissing people off, right? They risked pissing players off in the interest of making a game where you feel like you are actually making meaningful progress. Like you are really figuring something out um, on your own in, in a lot of cases. So, yeah, I agree. I don't really... I didn't really figure out the story. Like, it's not that it's not, it's just like, I mean, they're called space pirates. Like, I don't know, it, it's, 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 it's just, it, it's hard for me to get behind being very frightened, like feeling very compelled by a villain called space pirate. I don't, I don't know. It's just like that. <laughs> it's a little bit generic. It's a little bit generic. Um, and also like, why do they exist? They're pirates. Like, that's all you need to know. That is all you know and need to know. Um, but uh, I I think that there was something really special in the ways that um, gathering and slowly building up the ability not just to do things, not just to fight things, not just to destroy other creatures that are going to get in your way, but to actually access new areas for exploration i think that focus on even though the combat was really cool right the ability to aim in all eight directions was really significant and and a a major innovation in that game for me it's the the way that you always feel like you're uncovering something new that really um keeps it keeps it fresh and, and exciting for me i think one of the most brilliant things about super metroid for me when I first played it was the way that it re and and I think this is part actually works against kind of the overarching story because like at the beginning you your walk you walk through Turian right and it's destroyed like it's it's completely blown up um and you see like the ruins of this place that you've been before and um it's it was just so kind of 
kind of spooky to me and interesting and such an interesting way to start a game i thought um that it i had totally like i think i played metroid 2 once or twice on my friend's game boy like and didn't do anything right um but i had totally forgotten about the game i thought this was the sequel like obviously this is the sequel because of that design element so yeah yeah that definitely i'd actually kind of forgotten about that like what a cool way they sort of plunge you right right into the action there and then crash you right away which is one of i think many ways that um to a degree that i almost find frustrating although i might just be a killjoy uh i think that metroid dread is constantly nodding and winking at the player and saying hey hey just like super metroid right you you remember this? You you remember this from Super Metroid? There there are literally puzzles in Metroid Dread where the whole puzzle is if you remember how this worked in Super Metroid, you've got this figured out. And if you don't, then uh, you know, you you could you could go back and look it up and play it and and do it again. And it's not that I expect Nintendo to necessarily reinvent the wheel with every single game that they release, but if you're already gonna release a game that is mechanically so similar, you know, that is going to have you observing your character from the same point of view and and all that kind of stuff. I I don't know. I, I felt like there was a lot in Metroid Dread. There is a lot in Metroid Dread that's actually leaning, for me, a little bit too heavily back on what Christian was pointing to before. That kind of isn't, wasn't Super Metroid so great. Wasn't it just awesome? Is something that I feel like I'm being reminded over and over again. Not always in an unpleasant way, but it is not subtle either. And I think, you know, maybe we'll get to this a little bit later, but it's worth noting that, you know, in a lot of ways, Metroid Dread was essentially subcontracted, right? It had an in-house producer um, in Yoshio Sakamoto. Um, but it was made by Merger of Steam, and they themselves subcontracted with the controversy surrounding uh, the credit rule on this because they have a rule that you have to have at least worked on a quarter of the game to make it into the credits, which is not an uncommon rule, but uh, I think from many of our perspectives, not the best rule. Um, so it doesn't sort of give credit what credit is due to the many people that might have worked on 20% of the game, or 18%, let's say, or 10 Uh but the point here being is I also do wonder to what degree, like if you and if somebody says, hey, you're going to make the next Metroid game. And they also made Samus Returns, I should say, Mercury Steam. It's a, Spain, a Spanish studio. Um, if you're sort of tasked with that from Nintendo, those are big shoes, right? That's a heavy weight. Uh, and so I do wonder to what degree, not only that, but you've got like people that are probably already fans, which is probably partially why they get the gig. Right? And how much does that structure things? Like, you know, how much, you know, how much is this in a certain sense an homage, right? As much as anything. Um, and so we should talk more about that. But, you know, I think before we do, maybe we could talk about the fact um, the uh, acid dripping elephant in the room, as it were, that Metroid itself has roots. Uh, in what I would call the origin of a great deal of survival horror, namely Ridley Scott's uh, Alien. Uh, does that matter to folks? Does that like is that something that brought you to the game anyway? Is it something that frames the game for you? Because it does for me. In retrospect, though, 
right? Like it did not when I was like eight years old or something first playing this game. But it has sense, like I very much think of Samus, um, you know, alongside Sigourney Weaver um, for a lot of things. It's, I mean, it is compelling now that I know about it, but I didn't actually back in the day. And, um, you know, there are a lot of parallels that a lot of people have, have pointed out between the two. Um, but it is kind of cool. I think there's something really, really powerful and unique about both, both, uh, franchises as having a woman at the, at the center of, of both in the eighties, right? Like in where that was pretty rare to have. Um, and, and I do remember, I, I do remember when this, one of the first controversies, I think that even reminds me of a lot of the sort of toxic geek stuff that's going on these days was when it was revealed that Samus was a woman and um, there was outcry against it. And so it's, it's, it is. How could this amazing alien hunting action badass, how, how could Nintendo put such a role? But they also, and I'm not, I'm not defending like the misogynist geeks of the world, which is always a really great way to start a sentence, a promising (laughs) way to start a sentence. But Nintendo did bait that like explicitly. Like I like, um, old, um, manuals, right. For Nintendo games. And in the manual for the original Metroid, they use he, him pronouns for Samus in the whole entire thing. And then like, there's a part near the end where they say, whoa. And when you get to the end of the game, we've got a big surprise for you. A and shocking reveal. It, it's, yeah. It's, but this is, this is what differentiates it right from alien is that there's a reversed temporality there. Like alien, you think you might be getting the vulnerable woman who turns out to be a badass and here you get a badass who turns out to be a woman. Um, but it's kind of turned into like a gimmick in a way. And they might, they kind of make good on complete with on. what Roger mentioned earlier in terms of underwear reveal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess yeah, what I'm saying is I'm questioning, I'm questioning the progressiveness. I think if we're going to talk about eighties Metroid, if we're going to say in the eighties, Alien and Metroid are examples of strong women protagonists. I would say that's absolutely a way we can choose to read it today with the Samus we know now, with the Metroid we know now, the Samus that's been kicking everybody's ass in Super Smash Brothers for for decades, right? That we can say that now. But I would say that the way the game presented itself at the time is almost antithetical to what we got in 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 alien just because it was so it, it was so cheesy it was so like the underpants i mean it it it, it, it turned on it that used male pronouns the whole manual and then and then re- did the real was in underpants I think you've ruined Roger's childhood, which is why he's no longer here. Um, <laughs> Maybe he's no. off to get the manual. Yeah, he's like, I'll show no. you, Nate. He's um, food. Uh, I, I don't disagree with you, but I would say I think you're right to distinguish between 
Nintendo's intentions, let's say, and then on the other hand, what Santa's has become. And I'm thinking of somebody like Matty Myers, who's written a couple of things recently about Metroid for Polygon, but who also is one of the hosts of the Triple Click podcast that kind of came out of the old Kotaku crew. Um, and Maddie Myers has really talked, you know, talked a lot about Samus the badass and kind of like, you know, sort of queer female identification with Samus in a way that's been sort of like, I think kind of reminds you of one, the narrow options all the way through the 90s and arguably even to the present in a lot of respects uh, to identify with a character. And I don't mean like to build a character that you could choose the sex of, but like to identify with a protagonist who is a woman. Um, and, you know, to, to just the fact that, yeah, she is a badass. And I mean, this is where like, you know, we'll talk about dread, but dread, like, you know, if there's one thing dread does well, it's extrapolate or really emphasize that badassery, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, just the, the use of that kind of like camera pan and turning the 2.5 D into a full 3D, uh, sort of effect and choosing the z-axis even like look over her shoulder and things like that and the superhero black widow knee drop uh folks know what i'm talking about um where you drop and then you sort of swish your hair up or something she doesn't swish her hair but that's what i imagine yeah and i think it's absolutely right that and in a lot of ways that's what we do in fandom right we look at things in retrospect and we can, we're able to distinguish what something was at its time and what something means to us now. And I think that's a really important part of thinking about things uh, retroactively, right? Of, of enjoying these kinds of things. Um, but I'm just saying that if, if we're interested in, in the sort of for its time question, like Ellen Ripley is... I think light years in the future away from the way that Samus was originally presented in, in, in the very first Metroid game. And I think that dread definitely um, does a, like you said, does a really cool job of sort of picking that up and making it something, um, making her character like uh, just have these absolutely cinematic badass moments that are really cool. A game, a game that does not do that very well is other M right mm. that came out for the Wii in which there is all sorts of ways in which she is that character is very much turned into a, a female stereotype and also this yeah. dread through the AI we should talk about is very much a commentary on other end right like the way in which the AI is used because you know the whole thing with other end is you've got this like a male uh, AI, and I'm trying to remember. Oh, he's a military commander for the yeah. Federation. He's yeah. not right. an AI yet. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah, the next. Not, that's yeah. convoluted thing. Yeah, yeah. he goes that. on to become an AI. Yeah. Well, or they go the on the base AI, AI reminds Samus of this jerk, and so for some reason she has a lingering attachment. And right, because isn't there supposed uh, to be some kind of like very Nintendo like? By which I mean very nebulous and ill-defined sort of romance plot between Adam and and Samus, like human Adam and Samus. No, and then, but then it's, it's like goes bad. It's, it's father like, figure because she literally. There's a famous line 
where she says that he is her father figure and uses the, that phrase. Uh, oh, from good. Other That's M. better. Um, so it's like a Link in Zelda. There's no no sex in Nintendo. Um, oh, man. I don't know. That's kind of a... She has a better chance of getting with the AI version, dude. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> Nintendo. But, <laughs> but I, I was kind of curious to hear, because I, I looked it up a little bit, but I, it is convoluted and hard to follow, like, what does if anybody has more info about the connection between like Adam the AI in Metroid Dread and Adam the much maligned character? Sure, since since you requested, <laughs> thank you, Don. <laughs> I figured Don might know. Uh, so okay, uh, in other M, Samus is working on behalf of the Federation, which is the human whatever that is super boring and produced uh, a maligned spin-off entry in Federation Force, uh, just as, if not more, <laughs> maligned even than Other M, both of which, should be pointed out, are subcontracted to other other studios who brought in their various ideas of what they could do with Metroid and with Samus as a character, in which Nintendo just decided, eh, yeah, we can take pieces of this and that and the other thing. Leading to the idea that you've got this person who's ostensibly kind of in a commanding officer role over Samus, even though she actually isn't a Federation soldier. She's been a bounty hunter this whole time, but she works for the Federation and has to have authorization from... Adam to be able to do shit like use her own armor's goddamn rocket launcher. Oh, right. <laughs> Which she's that had the whole the time. Oh, there, that was the worst. There's he not has even to upgrade. All of them. All of yeah. all of his all of her powers, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That he has to unlock. In 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 other M, oh, unlike so in Super Metroid, Nathan, I I so love you. Your description of your rhapsodic description of exploring and finding these items that change gameplay and then you figure out oh that's what this is for in other m you get absolutely fucking none of that <laughs> because she has to wait for this dude to say okay samus now you can use the varia suit and go into lava okay samus now you can use the morph ball and use your bomb and understandably in addition to that being incredibly grating from a character and story perspective just from a mechanical one it's yeah. insulting yeah. and and awful uh so you know just uh, double double uh perhaps not a surprise the dire- the developers of other m are also famous for developing dead or alive extreme beach volleyball oh my fucking god <laughs> Uh, oh so th- no! That that fits into that conversation we were the just having. The most progressive game known to me. <laughs> the most, re- the best representation I mean, That's the in one video games we of found women. It. Oh um, my god! Yep, that, I had that's, no idea. That's who got to make that Metro again. And Nintendo, in their infinite pick and choose uh, wisdom, um, which can yield fun stuff like Zero Mission. Uh, decided what they were going to keep from Other M was the idea that uh, Adam died on the way to his home planet, like Poochie or something. I don't know what happens to the guy, and I don't think anyone cares. Uh, I don't even think anyone at Nintendo cares. Uh, But Samus has a built-in AI in her ship, which is kind of bossy and uh, kind of likes to say things like, accept your powerlessness in the face of overwhelming robotic force, even though you're about to wipe the floor with them. 
because you're the ultimate space badass, but whatever, I'm a condescending AI. And she goes, this AI sure reminds me of that guy, Adam. I'm going to call this AI Adam. Yes. <laughs> that, there, there is your history in the connection. <laughs> but it is also funny how, like, because I felt like this was really kind of Finn in particular in Dread, right? Is, is that the center, no, 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 the center of a Metroidvania style game is upgrading your powers. Is you start with less powers, you get more powers as you wander around. And every Metroid game, they have to come up with a reason why Samus can't just do everything that you spent the whole last game being able to do. Um, and uh, I think it's I had not put a whole lot of thought towards other M before this podcast. And I think of the versions, the iterations of that, why did you lose all your powers plot that I've seen? That's probably the worst. I did not love dreads, like just on a narrative level, like explanation for this case. But that I think that takes the cake. That's pretty bad because the dude didn't say you could do it yet. So, folks, I promised you. A spoiler warning for Dread. And I think at this point, both for time's sake and, uh, you know, just to kind of move us into it, let's say from here on out, uh, all's fair in love and war and Metroid Dread spoilers. And so, yeah. Yeah, spoilers. Um, Metroid Dread opens up with Samus unexpectedly encountering Ravenbeak, a Chozo, uh, who she battles. You do sort of briefly battle, right? That you're actually controlling the battle, but it pretty quickly moves into cutscene territory. Um, and you're defeated, but not before there's a flash of some other power emerging from you, which will turn out to be the latent Metroid DNA uh, lingering in your body. And Dun, dun, dun. And so that's what strips your powers is this encounter somehow with the Chozo. And it turns out uh, that the entire sort of journey is actually orchestrated by Ravenbeak, who it turns out is in fact your computer. In a very Wizard of Oz moment, uh, you, I think, literally reach through or tear apart your computer and behind the computer is Ravenbeak which makes no spatial sense whatsoever because there were multiple computers. Was he behind all of them? He's Was just, he but because there's stuff going on in the background. See, if you look closely, Ravenbeak is just sneaking along, following yeah. you everywhere you go the entire yeah. time. No, it really does have that quality to it. Of like, you know, he's, he's behind the drywall the entire time. Um, uh, but, you know, so the entire thing is sort of framed as a trial in which Samus is a guinea pig in order to create or to bioengineer the ultimate weapon to take over the galaxy uh, or the galaxies um, by having this, like, I, I guess what presumably was going to happen and what has happened in other games, sort of, is he was going to sort of clone Samus or produce an army of Samus Metroids or something along those lines. There's a... A small, it's one last backstory chunk that I'm gonna 
introduce Small Little Bit in Metroid Fusion, which uh, Dread builds heavily off of in that regard, and that's that Fusion introduced this additional space monster. So there's the Metroid, your classic energy-sucking green and red parasite that uh, is awesome. And then Fusion decided, okay, wait, no, the, the Chozo also made another parasite, which the Metroids are the only parasite that can kill this other super bad shape-changing parasite, which we're just going to call the X, because again, I, I guess, like with Space Pirates, you know, there's a point where it's just like, yeah, we'll just use a generic signifier for this could be a variable anything. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, Samus goes in Fusion to this planet, encounters an ex-parasite, the ex-parasite goes, wow, this Samus thing sure is awesome, I'm gonna be that, uh, and Samus nearly dies as a result of contact with this parasite, which does clone her at full power into this really badass stalker enemy, the SAX, uh, which follows you around in fusion, and, uh, the SAX has all of Samus's abilities, even if the player does not. Only reason the player that Samus survives that is because she has Metroid DNA from Super Metroid when the baby she saved saves her during the fight of Mother Brain. <sighs> so now she's got ex-parasite shit in her body and human and Chozo and Metroid DNA and it's just a soup inside that suit of armor. Um, and Ravenbeak is like, okay, this, this genetic soup... <laughs> which is kind of engineered by my outer space species and kind of the product of a series of accidents by which Samus Aran goes around destroying planets and wiping out entire species. Uh, that is the right mixture. That's it. Uh, so I'm going to bring this, this horrible being named Samus to this planet, and I'm going to uh, have her be the Metroid now. So, Roger, when you said, like, in the chat, like, where are the Metroids? And I was like, well, there is a Metroid in Dread. It's Samus. Samus is the Metroid. Samus is the whale, Roger. So I know that this just, like, I know this just points out my ignorance. But, but, and I know people who are long-term fans of Metroid will be mad at me. I am really angry that there are no Metroids in a game called Metroid. Like, you have two <laughs> games called Metroid, and there are no Metroids. Like, what's the point? She killed all go? of them. them. She killed all the Metroids. She, she, That's it what took I'm saying. three games like, to do it. She killed them all. I feel like I feel like they, I feel like maybe Nintendo thought that they weren't going to make any more Metroid games after Super Metroid. I can't imagine them putting themselves in a corner like that and then just having two games with no Metroids. Like, I'm just like, okay, and X, okay. <laughs> Great X, that's that's a really compelling villain there. I don't I just think, don't even. I don't think Nintendo ever thinks it's going to make another Metroid. To be quite honest, <laughs> right? Like I, I honestly don't know if we. It drives be, me crazy. I don't. Think, I love <laughs> I don't think we'd be getting Metroids if it wasn't for the success of the Switch, right? Right. I think the Switch as a platform is so wildly successful that they can put almost anything on it and it sells better than a lot of other things that they've released. And so I like I do not think that Dread was a thought in anybody's brain. I mean, and I mean the current iteration of Dread, not the version of Dread that was being thought about 12 years ago. But I don't think before 
you know, the Switch came out, that they were going, oh, we're going to do another Metroid for this platform. They were going, we're going to do a Mario and a Zelda. Yep. And that's it. <laughs> it even came as a surprise to the Metroid series producer. Uh, like, so now we've got five games. Metroid Dread could also be Metroid 5. And, you know, it goes Metroid, Metroid 2, Super, which is 3, uh, Fusion, which is 4, and now Dread, which is 5. And Dread was supposed to, you know, he, had, he did have a plan for it after Fusion, because that whole X-Parasite Metroid thing was supposed to feed into something like this. Um, but it turns out that the, I mean, even just doing the SAX as a stalker on the advance, that barely worked on that hardware. So having the idea of things like the Emmys or anything like that, any additional complexity just wasn't going to happen. Um, and they weren't about to put that on one of their main home consoles either because things like Fusion didn't sell particularly well. So, you know, then now we're at the Switch and, uh, Nintendo says, hey, let's unearth this blueprint with the same producer and and hand it over to this Spanish company to make. Uh, and honestly, I think the producer is thrilled that anything from 12 years ago, any of that work actually saw the light of day. But did he ex- even like the person in charge of Metroid nominally even expect that to happen? Absolutely not. The series has been dead in the water for years. So now that it's been really successful, Nintendo, bring out, remake some some of these games, make us pay lots of money. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I I just want to play some of the games. I think we'll see more. I want to see. I want to play Metroid Two. I want to play Fusion. I want to play those games. I've just never been able to. I think we'll get Prime and the trilogy and Four in the next couple of years and. But why don't we talk about, why don't we start off positive and talk about what has made Dread a positive experience for folks? What's been positive about Dread for folks? And maybe I'll start off, which is out of the first hours especially, I think the feel of the platforming, the responsiveness of things like the wall jump, uh, the you know parry, uh, there's just a really wonderful feel to it it's not just no input lag it's a sense of momentum that i feel like the game excels at and it's even down to things like essentially like you move the left analog stick and you're sprinting right like there's no slow walk for the most part you can do that later on but for the most part you just you go into sprinting um there's something about the feel of this game that's really just remarkable i think it's i think one thing that i really love about playing this game at this point is having played a lot of metroidvanias they've in the past i guess five to ten years have gotten popular again right um hollow knight uh, uh shovel shovel knight that's not quite is that a Metroidvania? not really no or no, no, it's no, pretty no. linear what am i yeah. thinking Ori, though Ori, yeah what are some other ones there's another one anyway it doesn't it matter. procedurally generated stuff like dead cells yeah 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 like after playing those games and just coming back to these are the people who did this. These are the people who made this game what it what made the Metroidvania genre. And to see them come back with something that is, I think, really well designed um, in terms of its layout and in terms of all the different places you can go and how it all interlocks and going from one to the other. Um, I didn't like uh, having to go back necessarily sometimes to some of the 
some of the games, but some of the areas. But I think it, it felt like kind of coming home. There's a coming home quality after having played all of these other Metroidvanias that are good. They're just not Metroid, which I thought was I thought was kind of cool. There's a continuity in the atmospherics or of the tone and the atmosphere of the game that I think was really well done and Mercury Steam deserves a lot of credit for. Like I think the environmental storytelling, the kind of layered quality of the background in relationship to the foreground. So you really felt like there was this kind of sense of depth, even as it was two dimensional, um, which was of course, I think added by something I did really actually quite grow to like in the game, which is that pivot over the shoulder, that camera swing over the shoulder uh, for certain special moments. For example, when you get the Omega Cannon, the combat, the Emmys, which we'll talk about, uh, and during certain boss encounters and sort of parrying moments with bosses, especially uh, the integration of like depth into the 2D plane is, I think, really well done. In fact, a lot of the bosses, if I'm remembering correctly, often come from that background plane into the foreground uh, in a kind of haunting sort of way that I quite like. Um, Nate, why do you give us something? I know you like the Emmys. I like, the, Emmys. like the Emmys. Even though I ultimately came down on, like, I complained about them a little bit. In... I feel like I kind of made you complain about them in my job. Yeah, I mean, are you, are you doing... Are, are you doing cultural criticism if you don't complain about something? I mean, you're probably not. Um, probably. You have to be a little bit sad about everything good. Uh, but I I think that the Emmy really, I don't know, they, they absolutely made the game pop for me. And a little bit of that is just really uniquely personal and that I'm the father of a relatively little guy who really, really likes quote unquote scary stuff, right? He's really, really interested in that. We actually, we, um, we watched alien together on, uh, on Halloween. Um, cause he just, yeah, he has, he has absolutely just no fear of anything. And, and so that puts me in a position where I'm always trying to figure out like what stuff that, we can enjoy together that's not going to have a whole bunch of things in it that i'm not prepared to explain right and um those those first few emmy encounters were just like both of us because we've been playing it together we've been playing metroid dread um together both of us were just like ah ah you know like like we were both kind of like having fun freaking out together at the same time um and and that was really delightful just a great experience but i also think that they're a really cool mechanic in that um they serve as multiple different kinds of obstacle but packaged in the same thing right in the same place um and they also you i like what they add to the metroid formula Right, like the Metroid formula is you walk around and you pick up stuff, and as you pick up stuff, you're able to access things in, in different ways. But what the Emmy do is they produce some opportunities that I think the developers capitalize on really well to find items that are specifically about dealing with them. 
it's not just about getting to new spaces. It's not just about putting out more damage so you can kill other bosses. There are things that you specifically get that will help you work through this particular kind of obstacle that you encounter in, in a like a special way. Um, and uh, oh, and I I, I also want to say that I really like the mechanic, even though I complain a little bit conceptually about the Omega Cannon. I really like the mechanic of having to figure out where I am in the Emmy zone. I'm going to be able to ultimately stage my Omega Cannon duel. Like, that's a really, really fun moment. I enjoy that quite a bit. I I love the fact that, like, there's a kind of, there does seem, it does seem that the Emmy kind of becomes, in a way, like the, the, uh, uh, descendant of the metroid in terms of the kind of enemy it is uh in the sense that i one of the things that i remember about metroid is like you know when you're about to go to Turian, you have everything you're ready you're pretty much a badass and then you come in and you can destroy the metroids but they're freaky they're freaky they fly in a weird way they're they're seem they're not indestructible i think I think the Emmy takes that maybe to a new dim- dimension where you have to defeat them in a very specific way. And if you're not, if you're not calm, it will go bad for you very fast. And so I think that that's kind of, I see, even if we can't have a Metroid in the game, we might as well have an Emmy, <laughs> you know, like um, just this, just this kind of like, it's not a, it's not an obstacle that's impossible to overcome, but it's, but it's, just a bit higher than other enemies to the point to make you nervous even if you're a badass yeah i think i think they're i, I think thinking of them as these tricky panic inducing puzzles is i think right you know and i think it's important too that there's a kind of like aesthetic match between their environments and them so that they're sort of like even you know they have the different colors the purple the yellow the blue etc um which correlate different powers as well for them um but there's also something about the fact that they're metallic, like the environment is metallic that they're in. And so as they skitter across the ceiling right above you, and then when you get the cloak and you're sort of like hanging above them, hoping they don't bump into you, because I, I will admit that it is incredibly frustrating that you can, like the tiniest bump into them and you're put into a uh, encounter that has a randomized timer that controls your parry window um the variable for the duration or when the parry window opens is randomized apparently um you know which is mean uh because you're not supposed to really be able to come back from that right like you're supposed to die in that instance you're supposed to be reminded that samus is vulnerable uh which is what i do appreciate because for the most part like and this is actually, I would say, a little different than some of the earlier Metroids. For the most part, like, outside of the bosses and the enemy encounters, there's no difficulty, like, getting from point A to point B. None of the enemies are really hard. I don't think any are difficult. Like, you can kind of scoot past them pretty easily, in fact, in almost every case, especially as you start gaining a few of your movement powers. And as satisfying as the parry is, it really obviates a lot of fights. Right. Like if you get if, right. you, you know, it's oh, it, it's the parry is arguably OP. And for two reasons, one, because you can kill enemies really easily with it. Um, and there are a few enemies that change up the timing in interesting ways towards the end. But even that, you just learn it a couple of minutes later and you're good. 
but it's also over, it's over, also overpowered because the resource collection that it allows uh, makes things even easier. Um, which isn't to say this game doesn't have difficulty spikes, but it does. It's got some hard bosses. The bosses are my favorite part. Talk um, about the bosses, Don. I I so. In playing earlier versions of 2D Metroids in particular, the Prime bosses are a whole different uh, genus of, of Metroid boss species. Um, there is uh, always the possibility that you can run around some more, grab another couple dozen missiles by punching the walls and grabbing some secrets and all of that, and then just emerge fully loaded into a boss room and just unload on a boss. And, and that is true broadly across the previous four 2D Metroid entries. Um, so much so that I have a friend who is enormously infuriated by Metroid Dread's bosses because that tactic doesn't apply to Metroid Dread's bosses. Uh, and, and some of that has to do with how the gating between areas works and how difficult it is to acquire a lot of uh, Samus's full arsenal of like 270 missiles and a bunch of super bombs and a bunch of other stuff by the end of the game. Uh, but it but it is unlikely in most cases, and I think it's probably true for most players, that you're going to just be able to explore your way into becoming overpowered enough to handle the major bosses of Metroid Dread. Um, and the major bosses are all great. Uh, they all have a challenging series of uh, not just patterns, which would be a little disappointing if it was solely patterns, um, but ways that they interact with the environment or they interact with uh, movement options that Samus has. And Dread gives you more movement options than have ever been in any Metroid games at once. Um, so the encounter design itself can be you know, can force you into thinking like, okay, I need to be able to grapple and dodge and dash and uh, dash over and lightning dash through this thing and then maybe space jump and while also firing the whole time and locking missiles. You simply couldn't do that in previous Metroids. The controllers and the hardware involved would make it so that you would have to only, you know, pick one of those options at a time and do them in serial in Dread, you can do them all at once, and the bosses require you to if you want them to do them efficiently and well. Uh, and the further you go into the game, the closer you get to fighting Ravenbeak, the more the bosses say, okay, if you want to get through this brick wall of a boss that has all kinds of awesome stuff and is flying at you out of the background, is filling the screen with projectiles, has a parry sequence where you're running up its arm, and like in three dimensions and over the shoulder and shooting in the face and it's just fantastic if you want to do all of that cool stuff and see more of the game you're going to need to do a few things at once here you can't just walk into this room and unload 80 super missiles into ridley which i absolutely do when i'm playing super metroid um just stock up i don't dodge ridley i sit there and with my energy tanks i sit on the platform and oh, yeah. i just fire because that's by then, how you do it take that's it how, that's it. how you do it. You just face tank the baddest space pirate in the galaxy because by then Samus is such a huge badass that Ridley's pretty much trivial. It's you know it's just no time at all. Dread says, 
Nah, there will be none of that. Uh, you can sequence break and find some fun things, like putting a bomb in a giant uh, dinosaur robot's belly if uh, you get the bomb beforehand. Uh, uh, it's cool. cool. It's thing. also so nasty. Oh, the crate hole. Oh, the crate, the crate hole. hole. <laughs> you want to talk about can, soup? Can... What kind of soup is going on inside the crate hole? Oh, <laughs> my God. You know, I have a question really quick, though. I have a question. So the crate is in this great. game. Trades in this Trades game. Trades in this game. Ridley's dead. Ridley's been Mother dead for Blaine. a couple games. Yeah. Mother Brain is dead. Mother Brain is dead. Okay. I I don't. <laughs> There's no narrative sense, Roger. I don't know no why. How does death work? How did de- how does death work? That's what I'm saying. Like, how is Kraid still alive? He we, he's been killed just as many times. Intellectual property is immortal, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> but see what we know from Super Smash Brothers is that Kraid survives lava. And whenever Kraid dies, he sinks into lava. He's not really dead. He's just hiding in his natural element for next you time. You see, Rather, there's a giant white gloved hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say like Super Smash Brothers unified. Yeah. Oh right. It's it's the G U T, you know, it's your grand unified theory of Nintendo. Yep. Um yeah. That's what's most ridiculous. And why? Why does like why? How does he find himself in this? Because he's a space pirate, right? Like I'm just trying to. I maybe I'm, I'm being the dumb. I don't quite. This is why literary before. critics don't belong on video game podcasts. I'm just saying. Why is he in this? If like, why him? Is that just like, hey, Craig, it's fan hey, service, right? Craig. It's fan service. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's okay. I mean, it's a good boss fight, but it's definitely fan service, right? It, it's better it. than seeing Ridley again, and I, yeah, I yeah. really like Ridley. I like Ridley in Smash Brothers. Yeah. Um, you know, now now that Ridley's there, uh, but but yeah, Craig. You know, maybe there's a way nominally to be like, well, you see, baby Craig. So maybe it isn't the Craig. Maybe it's another descendant of Kraid. You know, there's probably ways around it and the way that in sci-fi you can explain anything away hard enough if you if you just look for like well you see in the background of this thing in the Turian statue you can see Kraid emerge from the lava and shuffle by <laughs> speaking of, I mean, of I'm okay. things in the drywall. <laughs> so I will say like I do appreciate that there are different like bosses in this game than in earlier metroid games because a lot of times with franchises like mario or zelda you get just the same enemy over and over and over again or different iterations of the same enemy so it, it is nice to see that there's like kind of an overarching narrative to this story yeah and and yeah and, and the new bosses are uh it's at least the large ones are fantastic i have some minor quibbles i think there's a lot of kind of mini boss style encounters where you get locked into a room to face a large monster that's dangerous and the a lot Chozo of those are guards. more dispensable the chozo guards they they overdo when they it. double the chozo guards i'm just kind of like okay so another two it's a little bit i, I hated boss. that stupid fish thing that you had to kill that you had to like shoot and then like well, because it wasn't grab on hard the... it was just you had to it figure wasn't it hard. out it just took a billion hits and if yeah. you didn't get it, do it right you'd have to do it all over again it would just get really annoying yeah it was more. the that was the boss equivalent of a complaint that i've heard that i think is legitimate to a point uh about the way in which some of the sort of environmental puzzles depend upon you just shooting a bunch around yourself to like find the hidden block that'll break right and i do think that 
there were moments where that was a bit much. On the other hand, everybody knows that it's a thing in Metroid, and so you're just supposed to kind of know, but it does speak to the fact that, like, this is a game that's built on a kind of tradition that expects you to come in with a certain amount of knowledge, or at the very least, Google some books, you know? Um, and, and I think that was, you know, so, so okay, when that manifests in the level design, when that manifests in some of the mini boss fights, um, the boss fights that, you know, clearly don't have the same huge room and cinematic impact planned around those, those weren't quite the same high point. Um, but when it comes to things like the creature that, speaking of cool things in the background, early in the game, you're in this lab area and you're having to restore power to it, and you see this huge creature writhing on like an operating table or something being zapped and you know i would be hard pressed for anyone to see this giant monster who's playing this game who's into this kind of thing and think like oh man i i want to i want to actually face you know i want to see this this giant monster i want to you know that that's coming back and sure enough it vanishes from the table later on uh, once you free all the ex-parasites or something, and they, like, revitalize this experimental creature's corpse or something, and attach it to a giant lava reactor, and you have this amazing fight with this thing from near the start of the game, and I, I mean, I think it's just one of the highlight bosses, complete with that arc, the teaser, the way that it vanishes so if you go back before that boss fight you can see oh the big monster is gone now where has it gone all the ways that the game teases it and then the final boss is so fantastic that it's one of the best boss fights in five games i mean it's so well done and the anticipation for it is so expertly delivered i loved it i think i think this is a game that's interestingly contradictory in its pacing so on the one hand, you have what you're describing, Don, which I think is one of the best aspects of this game, which is that sort of checkoff shotgun uh, quality of like, if you see something that seems suspicious, it's going to be a thing later, right? If you, It seeds moments, events in the game really well, right? Like I, I can't count the number of like podcasts where people hadn't finished a game yet that I listened to that were talking about how much they didn't like the computer because the computer seemed arrogant, you know, or like a jerk and like, were they imagining it or not? And I, and I thought the Am same thing. And then you get to the end, you know, yeah. And then you get to the end and it turns out, yeah, the computer is an arrogant asshole because the computer in fact is Raven big. Um, right. It's the arch villain manipulating yeah. Samus the whole time. So if it feels like the computer is doing that, well, yeah, you are being gaslit. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I'd love that aspect of the game. There other pacing aspects of it I really don't love. I think that the clip at which you start getting power-ups is a bit much at a certain point. Uh, and that there are some unnecessary, like the power bomb. I get it. It's been in Metroid before, but it really is superfluous and kind of just, you, you literally have to use it, I think, all of five times. The crossbomb too. The crossbomb, right? Unless you unless it, you're going puzzle like yeah. hunting, like, yeah, if for the main path, yeah. it's almost entirely dispensable. Yeah, if you're rinsing the game, if you're gonna rinse the game, yeah, like then you will probably use it more. And I haven't done that. I'm not. I don't hundred percent games typically, so I doubt I would sort of do that. Um, but the, some of it seemed kind of superfluous, and I get it that for some folks they might 
enjoy that. And maybe some folks will figure out really interesting ways to glitch out or break the game using those. But it did, it added an odd bit in the game. And that was problematic too, because honestly, like the Switch controller handheld is rough on your hands after a while. And I have never been, oh my God, I have never been so disappointed in the power-up than the grappling hook, the grappling beam in this game, because it is so counterintuitive the way it's laid out. Uh, the fact that you turn around, but you hold the Y button to keep swinging rather than holding the, the trigger or something, like it's really counterintuitive. And it, but it has a promise of movement and of so much fun. And I'm sure you could get it to work for you if you want it. It's so great in the <clears throat> underwater Emmy area where before you get the gravity suit that lets you be in water as though it's just like any other room. Because that's the, how gravity is. The grappling is. hook is the... Gravity is the gravity problem works. with water. Yeah, gravity not density, right. not viscosity. <laughs> it's that's gravity. Right. You, you got it. You got it. That's, Sorry. I, it, it. Fluid Dynamics with Metroid, everyone. That's another good podcast title. Oh, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, anyway. I, but but um, it, 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 you're right, Christian, that the graf, grappling hook comes with this promise of movement. And then there's whole areas built around, okay, you're super sluggish, but you have this grappling hook and you can fire in 360 degrees. And with it, you can zip around this area that otherwise is a huge, you're, you're just at every disadvantage possible against a more mobile, implacable thing. It's just that to actually use it, the shape that in reality your hands has to physically take to use this tool is not it's not fun it's not it's not an enjoyable shape to make with and hold with your hands yeah and i mean do you i guess really quick, what oh sorry i'm sorry what no go ahead what, um what controllers did y'all use because i use the pro is that what you use the so that, that easier than like the the one you sort of snap together yeah the pro I, is I only, definitely easier yeah i only have joy cons because I'm I'm I need to like find a way to rein in my just general rage at Nintendo like as a person with a kid Nintendo is my option in so many ways but like because at some point there has to be an end of the proliferation of accessories like at some point I've paid for the console I don't make a lot of money and and Joy-Cons are already expensive right and prone to drift yes and, and See, anyway, so uh, just the, even it bugs me even the idea that I might have to buy a separate kind, a differently shaped controller in order to make this particular game work a little bit better. And when you guys still have have cramps, because I will tell you, playing with the Joy-Cons, even with them slid in that little plasticky thing that they, that they give you um, is not fun. Like it gen yeah. genuinely causes pain uh, if, if if I spend too long on the boss fight. So I got to play maybe two or three hours of the game with the pro, but then because of a bunch of family stuff and sickness and things like that, I actually did play most of the game handheld with the Joy Cons just like 
on the side of the switch um just because i was also like doing childcare and things like that and it and yeah it was like you know i mean this is besides the point that i'm trying to st- like beat a boss while also stopping a two-year-old from like climbing on top of an entertainment center or something um or you know par for the course man yeah so this is like (laughs) pillows and trampolines set up a course of pillows and trampolines they'll bounce exactly i think i did watch an entire episode of mr robot while beating uh raven beak the final (laughs) boss encounter um yeah so there's that um i probably could have beaten a little bit less time if i wasn't simultaneously watching tv but uh you know what's the switch for uh, but yeah I it's know, for it car just... rides it's for car yeah. rides to grandma's house that's what yeah. it's for. not for me yeah. for the no. other guy <laughs> yeah if only if only the two-year-old could I've, I've got an extra 3ds for the two-year-old nice for as soon as she gets a little i hear they're delicious a little more yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> pretty much um but yeah i, th- I think you know sort of to wrap up because you know we've been going for a while i i think this is a really this is my perspective this is a really solid metroid game made by a studio that in a certain sense yeah probably leaned a little heavily on some of the tropes that we've seen in other metroid games but also introduced some elements that are pretty great and i think it's a super technically sound game i would have loved to have maybe not had the elevator uh, ride structuring so much of the game, the elevator and train ride structuring so much because it really did sort of break the kind of sense of the world to some degree, the way they were integrated and kind of surprisingly long load times, I would add, uh, for me at least. But but overall, it was a really good game. I, I, I feel like there's a little hyperbole maybe on its reception because people are so happy they got a Metroid uh, and that I think a couple years from now, there will be some like settling down in terms of the opinion on this game uh, and some recognition that of the Metroid and Metroid-like games that have come out in recent years, this is a good one, but is maybe no Ori, no Hollow Knight, no a number of other kind of great games, maybe even a cut in class. Uh, but it's still really good, uh, and it feels good most of the time when it's not breaking your hand. Other folks, final thoughts. I think I'm one of those people that's just happy to have a Metroid that I can play. Um, you know, I think I played Other M and it was, oh, after that was, so I literally just played, the only games I played, Metroid, like maybe five minutes of Metroid 2, Super Metroid, Other M, Dread, right? And so I have not had any kind of, yeah, like, no dilution. Super Metroid, <laughs> Super Metroid was like the last even slightly satisfying metroid experience i had and so i certainly have rose colored glasses on i loved it i thought i love all of those all of the cutscenes where where samus is flipping around being a badass and like strutting and stuff like i just love all that stuff um, those cutscenes are great and her eyes yeah her eyes and, and cutscenes, just, just the tiny registering of emotion I just feel like it was such a surprise uh, to to have this game come out after all of us had been really wanting Metroid Prime 4 for a long time. And there's just, there are all sorts of reasons why I can't be objective about this game right now. And they gave it to Um, us in three months, right? Yeah. 
they announced it and they gave so, us to us was it two or three months later right isn't that about right yeah it was only like it was like it was, it was announced in the summer last summer yeah. right yeah yeah they so. should just always do Nate, what I about imagine you? announcing a game when it's almost ready yeah final thoughts i mean i am kind of in a position where it's hard to offer final you're wrapping up i know you're wrapping the game up yeah um just because like you know what i'm i'm playing it with a partner and that involves taking our time uh in many ways and also you know sometimes he wants to solve the puzzle and that means that come on nate ditch the dead weight (laughs) right (laughs) get out of here daddy's daddy's beating no magical (laughs) memories of passing the controller with dad this is serious gamer hours (laughs) i'm just saying the amount of time you take to beat it is related to what concept art you get at the end of the game to unlock priorities Nate. and you know what you know what i bet all you assholes saw the fast one i bet you all come on you're not gonna tell me don everhart you're gonna tell me you didn't get the fast one maybe i didn't i went for completion Oh, okay. See, all right. That's acceptable. That's an acceptable Don version. I don't know. That sounds like a loser answer to me. (laughs) I was hoping... I didn't do both at once in my first run through the game. Shame. (laughs) If there's an extra slow one... I just did all of the puzzles. I'll get that. If there's an extra, extra slow one, I'm going to get the privilege of seeing something nobody else gets to see because I'm taking a nice jaunt through this game. But I will say, you know... My experience of Metroid Dread is, like Roger was kind of talking about, necessarily through the lens of my experience with, really, with other Metroidvanias, with indie Metroidvanias. That's where my kind of heart and my home are in in terms of games and gaming. And so it feels kind of crazy to say that, like, Metroid Dread isn't Hollow Knight. But that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. Like I enjoy it. I think it's really fun to play. I think it is a beautiful and beautifully executed game. I think it's now also just operating in a market where um others who are not nintendo have taken this style of gaming and have brought it into a whole other sort of universe of possibility um and that metroid dread does not capture my heart's attention in the same way that some of the other indie titles that i have just just in terms of like how much did i enjoy sitting down and playing this game like how how much how much enjoyment how much investment do i have in like 30 any given 30 minutes of gameplay you know um i i would say that overall if the comparison's even fair which maybe it's not and that's a question worth posing but i i get more out of hollow knight and ori than than i do out of metroid dread but i am really enjoying playing it and i think that uh it will like it's been a really fun experience to at least you know have uh have something to share to share together and the bosses are cool i agree with don 
it not being able to tank your way through the bosses, but actually having the bosses be like a puzzle of their own. That is a really, really neat aspect. I, I think that's a something special about this game that is worth hanging on to and, and, you know, praising because it is really, really good. I agree with with you, Nate, uh, that the game feels great to play. Um, And I I think that's probably my primary feeling about it, actually. Uh, Regardless of where it sits in Metroid's story and what it does and, you know, with Samus's character and everything else, regardless of how it compares to other games that use the search action formula and, and innovate upon it, um, what I like best about Dread is that it is a version of those games where movement through its its areas is so fantastically fluid uh, for me that I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, and the comparison, I mean, speaking of the grappling hook, the comparison for me, I think, uh, like with Roger, is with Super Metroid. Um, and in that regard... Well, I think Super Metroid has the better atmosphere. It certainly has the better music. Uh, the music in Dread is is an area that I think actually comes up quite lacking. I think the sound design is okay. The music is there. There isn't a memorable tune uh, in the entire game, especially in comparison to something like the original Metroid or or Super that have some great tunes uh, hidden in their soundtracks. Um, but but even with those flaws. Thinking about how in Super Metroid you would have to shift out, switch in a grapple in place of your gun, switch in the search beam in place of your gun. Like I was saying with the boss fights, it's a, it's a serial kind of game. It's a serial kind of action in Super Metroid. You can only really do one type of action in addition to running and jumping at a time. And they structured the whole game. All of the rooms in the game are structured wonderfully around that limitation. And it works really well in Super Metroid. But it also is such an interrupting, stuttering game to play if you're not doing pro-strategy you know, versions of running through it. If you're just playing Super Metroid as you know, in an ordinary way where you're swapping back and forth and using the select button to pick and, and doing one thing at a time, in comparison to that, the Dread says, even if you have to make horrible claws out of your hands to use that grappling hook, you can do anything. In any encounter, you've got the full toolbox, and maybe it's a combination of buttons that you have to press to get to one you know, tool that's down at the bottom of the box and hidden past the screwdriver and behind the power drill or whatever, but you can't. You can use anything and the toolbox is huge and it's all incredibly fluid and smooth and the whole world is engineered so that you can use that toolbox in all kinds of different and creative ways including in the boss fights that are deliberately meant to make you reach in and use a variety of tools until you get the right combination that's fantastic and i do think that that is novel it's certainly novel for the metroid series uh, and, and it's my favorite element of the game. I think it's the most important thing that Dread has accomplished for Metroid, and I hope to see more games put 
such a variety of tools so fluidly at my fingertips. I would love to have that kind of thing in more games. I have two things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have two things. I have two things really quick. They're going to be so, so one, fast, too. They're going to be really quick are. ones. One, Don, what you said just really, I really hit me because, like, wouldn't you think that, like, kind of a game like this where you have this amazing, uh, you know, warrior going after aliens with, like, all of these tech implements that being able to switch between them in the way that you meant in the way you articulated is sort of the height of what you could expect what you would want to be in that in that situation um so i just i just think that was really cool and then the second thing i really want to say this okay uh i think uh samus's arm cannon is badass but i don't think it's particularly a good decision to have an arm cannon instead of a gun in a hand because <laughs> it's not you're right right yeah. right like why hey did any of you guys find the um on your playthroughs because i know you're further along than me did any of you guys find the the red suit uh well they there's a vario suit no a gravity suit no the dark the dark red one that when you put it on you become legally responsible to deliver toys to all the children in December. Gonna stop wow. recording. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.